the Lax Factor Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode, I think it's 161 of the Lax Factor Podcast. Today, we have made madness. I already went through and talked about the bracket briefly. Today, I'm going to make my predictions for the D1 lacrosse, men's lacrosse tournament here. I'm going to go back through, talk about the games in a little bit more depth. I'm going to make a pick for each one, and we will go from there. I'll also talk about Friday's quarterfinals for the D2 bracket, and then I think we're doing the live stream Saturday morning, and we'll talk about the D3 games and things like that. D3 is tough. There's so many games. It's tough to talk about, so I may wait to get into that till next week, but we'll get rolling with the D2 games here this week. So before I get into it, as always, best way to help us out, be sure to share this video with your friends, like this video, that's super easy, and subscribe to the channel. More importantly, just share this with your friends. We're out there in audio world, anywhere where you can get podcasts, and we do put out a random podcast, like audio-only version of the podcast every once in a while, so you can go to anchor.fm forward slash laxfactor to listen, or you can just go to laxfactor.com. We post every video, every podcast there, and you can also support us there by getting swag and crap like that. Let's let's get into this now. First game to talk about, we're going to talk about the number one seed, North Carolina, facing Monmouth. Monmouth, like I had said it in the show earlier in the week, they have a veteran defense that despite their experience, they haven't seen anything like what they're about to face here in North Carolina. Seniors, Chris Hervada, Connor Turturis, and Dylan Smart. Uh, I think one of them is a super senior, and the other two are seniors. Uh, they got their work cut out for them, man. They're all solid. I mean, these dudes all the force 13 to 17 turnovers between the three of them. They pick up GBs. They have an, a, a fourth senior defender, or I think maybe a junior defender in that mix. All of them have are, are battle-tested as much as you can be playing in that conference. But, but the depth that UNC puts on the field offensively, it's not matched in college lacrosse this year. All three attack can sting you, but Gray and Solomon are especially a problem and will be a problem for those poles. Monmouth's keeper, Noah Lode, he, he's about to face a load of shots. See what I did there? I'm uh, pretty tricky. And uh, it's not going to be pretty. This kid's going to get shell-shocked. Now, he's capable. He's got a decent save percentage. I think it was somewhere in the area of 53 to 56%. But North Carolina is going to come, and they're going to keep on coming over and over and over again. May God be with, with Monmouth on Saturday. Hats off to him for making the tournament, for winning their conference. That is a very difficult thing to do, and that alone is a a big win but you know now you got to get into the tournament and now you want to kind of take that next step for your program and for Monmouth the next step would be hey let's let's show and let's not get our our, our the crap kicked out of us on Saturday uh, despite that I do believe truly that Monmouth is going to get the crap kicked out of them on Saturday my prediction is UNC by 12 goals and I think that's really going to be around the margin I think that if Monmouth can keep it under 12 they have to kind of control the face-off X a little bit, control the face-off dot, whatever people call it these days. I always want to call it X, but I'm trying my hardest to call it the dot because that's really what it is these days. So they're going to have to do a good job there. And their face-off guy, forget his name. He was I talked about him in the last show. He's actually pretty solid. I think he hangs at 58% or so. And North Carolina, it, they haven't lit the world on fire with their face-off crew, although they are capable as well. So I do think, I think North Carolina is going to roll them. And uh, that's that's how it's supposed to be. North Carolina is the number one seed. Uh, next one, number two, Duke versus High Point. Now, as I talked about once again, 
in the last show. Duke beat up on High Point in their last meeting. For High Point, their problem when they faced Duke the last time was Duke put 32 shots on cage, and between the three goalies that played, they only made five saves. I was going into that that box score trying to find what was the the discrepancy here. Where did Duke win? I was thinking maybe Jake uh, Naso was torching High Point in faceoffs. Not the case. High Point actually won about 55 to 58 or so percent of the faceoffs in that game. Naso only took four. So this was before Naso became Duke's faceoff killer. I thought maybe uh, Asher Nolting had turned the ball over 15 times in that game. I, I'm joking, but he did have a 12-turnover game at one point, and I thought, well, maybe maybe that Duke game was that 12-turnover game. No, Nolting only had two turnovers in that game. Actually had a pretty solid game overall. This was truly a case of our defense can't stop them, and our goalies can't see the ball that's going past them. The goalies did not see the ball. Now, I did watch that game, and I was surprised at just how easily Duke dismantled them. And it was a mix between the defense playing atrocious as well as – and everybody in Duke scored. I mean, I, I forget what I had quoted when we covered that game, but it was something like Duke had 12, 15, 18 guys in the box score. It went all the way down the roster. And I, I remember Mike Sowers had a solid game, but nothing crazy. Uh, so, yeah, I thought there was going to be some kind of crazy stat that, that spoke to it, and the crazy stat was not what I expected. It was that the goalies made almost no saves in this game at all for high point, and the defense played atrocious. Now, I don't think that's going to happen again to high point. I think that they're playing much better defense has been evidenced by their win over Richmond and they've been playing really tough down the stretch just overall. Much better team lacrosse. Asher Nolting as we talked about in the previous episode, he's cured his turnover issues. For as much as this kid carries the ball, for him to only turn the ball over over the course of the last 5 games, 2 to 5 times over the you know each game over the course of those games with as much attention as he draws and as much as he he anchors that offense that's incredible especially because he's been very assist heavy this year so I don't think that it's going to happen again I don't think High Point's going to get their their dicks kicked in or anything like that what I do think though is that Duke is still going to win this game and I predict a seven goal margin I think that Duke is going to probably jump out to a lead and then High Point's going to chip back a little bit that seems to be High Point's that what how how they kind of play their they're very streaky in, term, in terms of they'll give up a bunch of goals, but then they'll score goals in spurts as well. So I think that's how the game's going to go. But I do think that Duke will eventually slow roll them to a seven-goal win in this one because Duke's just really good. And I think where Duke is good is where High Point isn't quite as good in terms of defense, marking cutters. Uh, you know, they're going to lose the dodge game to a degree, although I think they play a little bit better man-on-man defense than a lot of people would expect. I think where they're, where Duke is going to carve them up is the easy goals, the goals where they're feeding the backside, goals where they're feeding the crease. I think that's where Duke is going to to feast. And that tends to be a slow roll because you got to figure it out, find the holes, figure out the spacing. And that's why I think it could be Duke jumps up to a four or five goal lead. High point chips back to within two. Duke goes up six. High point chips back to within three. I think it'll kind of go like that. And all all of these are hot takes. As you guys all know, I am terrible at predictions. I had a a former buddy of mine here. He actually was, he coached us at, uh, at Binghamton U when I played club ball for a year there. Uh, Tim Lamity, and he was saying, hey, can you do a a video going back through your predictions and seeing how you did? And I told him flat out, like, no, because my predictions suck. Uh, Maybe, maybe they don't. 
I just assume they do. And I haven't ever actually gone back to say, hey, here's what I predicted and here's what happened. Just mostly because I'm just predicting shit off hip anyway. So I told him no, that, but watch this weekend because I bet you I screw the pooch totally on this. Now, the, this first round will be a little bit easier to guess the winners and losers because it's set up so the, the seeded teams are technically supposed to be the favorites. But I'll butcher the margins of victory and all that other crap as well. Let's hope I don't forget Notre Dame, too. I got chirped for forgetting the Notre Dame game last week. It was an accident. I jumped from Georgetown to Denver because I was talking about the Georgetown Cuse game. I segued into talking about Denver and then just skipped them in my notes. But I digress. Back to this. Number three, Maryland versus Vermont. As I stated in Monday's show, Vermont's only hope in this game is Tommy Burke. And uh, if he does his thing and absolutely destroys Justin Shockey and the rest of the Maryland faceoff gang, then Vermont could have a, a glimmer of a hope to win this game. I think the chance that Burke wins 65% of, or more of his faceoffs is actually really high. That's about where he should should be. Anything below that would be a failure. Anything above that would be gravy. But 65% will not be good enough against this Maryland team, to be sure. Uh, for Vermont to win, he's going to have to win literally 9 out of 10 faceoffs that he takes. I, I think that's the truth. Maryland is a ridiculously good clearing team. Uh, they take care of the ball overall on offense, and and that's that's going to that's going to handle that side of it. So for Vermont to really get a, a true possession disparity here, that's going to matter in terms of the scoreboard. Burke is going to have to win almost all of the faceoffs. So let's play around here. Let's say what do I think would happen if Burke won? Let's say twenty two of twenty four of the faceoffs in this game. What would happen then? Vermont's defense still isn't ready for what they're going to face in Maryland. Vermont gave up 17 goals to Cuse. Now, they did that while winning all of the faceoffs. I think Cuse only won two faceoffs in that game. 16 goals to Bryant. They've given up 15 plus to Albany twice. Maryland's offense is more than likely in line with Syracuse's, could be better in terms of overall firepower, but worse. Maryland has Jared Bernhardt, and uh, they haven't faced anybody like Jared Bernhardt all year. And, uh, and yeah, they're not going to have an answer for, for number one here. The good news for Vermont is also the bad news. I don't think Jared Bernhardt's going to light them up for 10 points in this game, only because Maryland has so many weapons and he won't need to. I think Wisnowskis, Fairman, and the rest of the gang, they're going to feast in this one no matter what happens. Even if they don't win a single face-off, they're going to still put up a bunch of points, and that's going to be Vermont's problem. My prediction Maryland by nine goals. And I hate picking Maryland by nine goals in this one because, like everybody said, Maryland hasn't played out of conference yet. We don't know what they're going to do. My guess is Maryland's going to play this game with the excitement that you play your first game after having a couple of scrimmages or inter-squad scrimmages. Consider all of the Big Ten just a bunch of scrimmages for Maryland because they didn't get to see any outside teams and all of the chirping Maryland has heard they're going to come into this game like this is the first game they've played all year because this is like new blood for them to uh you know soak in and drink and I think that Maryland is going to win this by nine goals if Burke wins 100% of the faceoffs I think Maryland still wins by five goals and Burke probably won't win all of the faceoffs even though he's capable of winning almost all of them so and once again this is not to take away anything from the rest of Vermont's team. Their their goalkeeping, their defense, their offense has been incredible all year. I'm talking about Burke specifically because when you're playing Maryland, you are a heavy, heavy underdog, and something has to give. And I just don't think – I think Maryland's defense is totally capable of, of putting the clamps down on Vermont's offense. You know, Vermont, Vermont's going to score goals. They're going to put points up. But Maryland's defense is going to handle that offense well. 
I think Maryland's offense is going to absolutely destroy Vermont's defense and goalkeeper. So the reason I'm harping on Burke so much is that's the one place that Vermont is leaps and bounds better than Maryland at. And that side of the ball, that part of their game is going to have to excel beyond anything it's done this year for them to even have a chance. So that's my take on that. Maryland by nine. And if Burke wins all of the faceoffs, Maryland will still win by five, which means that Vermont has a very little chance to win that game. And of these first three, I think there is little to zero chance of an upset happening. I think in these first three seeds, these guys all roll in their games. Number four, Virginia versus Bryant. Now, I have this game listed as my first upset alert. I don't actually think that Bryant is going to win this game, but as they work the bracket out, and this is how brackets work, the further you get down in terms of the seeding, the better the chance the higher seed loses to the lower seed, and that that's by design. Um, but I still don't think that Bryant's going to win it. Sadly, though, despite that, I still like uh, – no, I don't know why I said sadly – uh, I still like UVA in this game, though, by four-plus goals or so. I mean, hell, I think that UVA could probably come out and jack Bryant up. Bryant's only hope is they have to play pretty much a perfect game. They have to play solid team defense, and they are capable of doing that. They've shown they can do that. They're not too bad in cage. Their goalie's going to need to stand on his head. And they win faceoffs at a decent rate. P.D. LaSala, in my opinion, he's been the best faceoff guy in the country this year overall. Not the best at winning the clamp, not the best at winning that draw, but overall because of the points that he puts up, what he does in transition, and he's just awesome. He's got swag. I like P.D. LaSala, and I think he's the best faceoff guy in the country. Uh, he's not winning draws at a Sisselberger rate, but like I said, the points matter. The, the transition that he creates matters. For Bryant to have a chance... LaSala is going to have to just totally not show up and lose a shitload of faceoffs in this game, not put up any points in this game. Because as I always say, Bryant could beat LaSala 60-40. LaSala's still going to put up a goal and an assist against a team like Bryant, though, where they're going to be really having to focus and transition on stopping that attack, stopping Cormier from sniping corners on that left wing and transition. I think that they will allow LaSala a couple of times to come right down the middle of that field. So I wouldn't be surprised if LaSala puts up a goal or two in this game because I think that they will try to key their efforts on, on stopping him from feeding the ball to those attackmen that are just going to snipe corners. So my prediction in this one uh, is that, you know, LaSala's going to show up. LaSala's going to have a really good game. LaSala's going to put up a couple of points and that, you know, Bryant's going to be scrappy, UVA streaky. So, you know, I think there are going to be periods where UV's, UVA is going to pull away and periods where maybe they give up a few goals. And uh, But I still don't think that, you know, whatever Bryant does, you, even if they play a good game the entire game, they're not going to win this one. Bryant will have to play a perfect game the entire game for them to win this one. My prediction, UVA by five goals, but I think that Bryant's going to hang and I think that UVA may end up having to pull away towards the end. We'll see how it goes. Next one, number five, Georgetown versus Syracuse. Based on the seeded team versus the unseeded team, this game easily gets my upset alert tag. In fact, I actually think Syracuse will win this game. Uh, yes, I'm a Cuse fan. Yes, I'm an admitted Cuse homer. And yes, I have a very hard time picking against Syracuse because I am superstitious and I'm a huge part of this team. Everybody knows how important I am to this team and their success. And my failures are their failures. And if I fail to pick them to win... I might be the cause of them losing. If I don't have faith in them, I may be the cause of them losing. I legitimately feel that way, even though I know it's completely not true and full of shit. All right, so hear me out. Georgetown, incredible 
defensively, and they're really good offensively. But you know, they've been they're known this year for their their defense. But they've been giving up goals to good offensive teams. G Town they gave up eleven goals to Loyola in a loss, and Loyola is a team who's been struggling offensively. They gave up twelve goals to Nova in a win. And, uh, you know, they give up 9 and 10 to, uh, to Denver. So their, their defense gets scored on by teams. And I think that Syracuse is probably a better offensive team than they've faced all year. I think that's fair to say. Denver's right up there, but I think Syracuse may be a little bit better offensively than Denver. Denver's much better than Syracuse is defensively, and, and Thompson's been playing tough in goal, but I digress. If I'm not careful, I'm going to jump back from – I'm going to skip Notre Dame again because I'm talking about Denver so much. Uh, but I think Cuse is going to score on this defense. Cuse has not had a hard time putting up points against good defensive teams. They did it against Duke, who's a solid defensive team. Virginia's a decent defensive team. Now, the ACC plays a different pace, and that'll play into this for sure because Duke and Virginia aren't trying to take any air out of the ball on the other end. But Georgetown doesn't do too much of that either. Um, Face-off-wise, Georgetown, they win them. So does Syracuse. So this one could be a wash. I think, though, that every time Syracuse has been – their backs have been up against the wall this season and FOP and that Syracuse uh, face-off unit has had to perform, I think they have done an admirable job. So I feel like Cuse may have a little bit of an edge at the face-off X in this game, and that will help them as well. I think that FOP will handle his business, so advantage Syracuse in terms of the possession battle. In terms of just battle testing, nobody is more battle tested than the ACC teams, and I know the Big Ten homers are getting mad about that. Even some of you um, Big East loyalists may be mad about that, but it is the truth. And, and Syracuse not only played a tough schedule within the ACC, but they also played a bunch of ranked teams in Albany and Stony Brook and Vermont and... You know, so even their non-conference schedule wasn't filled with cupcakes or anything like that. So I feel like that they're more battle-tested. Now, with that said, Georgetown has proven their might, though. They have beaten a, a very, very good Villanova team down the stretch. They did lose to Loyola, but played them tough, and then they've beat Denver twice towards the end of the season here. So, And Georgetown's won the Big East tournament the last three seasons. So Georgetown has been playing tough. Their postseason ball is a thing that they do, and it's a thing they have done. So that's not an advantage to Syracuse, but... In the end, this is truly a 50-50 matchup. I think you could pick it either way and, and make yourself sound smart if you just get right, if you get it right. In this case, I'm picking Cuse. I think it's going to be a dogfight. I'm calling it Cuse by two goals that they're going to score a dagger with under a minute left to put the game away. And that's what I say about that. All right, the one I forgot last week or on Monday. Number six, Notre Dame versus Drexel. Uh I just skipped this game last week because I was talking about Georgetown and then that naturally led me to talking about Denver and then Denver was the 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 seven seed and I just skipped over Notre Dame as it was a natural segue. Um, many are calling for an upset in this one and actually I've seen a lot of really weird veiled calls for upsets in this one. I don't see an upset happening. I mean, it could, you know, the sun shines on a dog's ass every day. Is that how it goes? I don't know. But uh, Drexel, they're a veteran team. They've played tough all season, but then again, they haven't been tested like Notre Dame has this year. Uh, what Drexel does have in their back pocket, uh, the CAA presented them with a medley of teams that share characteristics with Notre Dame. They haven't played Pat Kavanaugh or a player of that caliber, or they have though in Ryan Tierney. So they haven't played Kavanaugh specifically, and they haven't played a player exactly like Kavanaugh in the sense that he's a true 50-50 threat, can sting you with sick goals and can then sting you with feeds. They have though gotten practice against a filthy to Wharton level player in Ryan Tierney of Hofstra, and they came away winners in those games. Uh, they also haven't played the the schedule 
that Notre Dame has, but they have played some pretty tough teams in UMass, who's a solid all-around team, Hofstra, a really good team with a, a, a sick scoring threat in Tierney, uh, Delaware, an incredible lacrosse team. They've, they've, they've hung with those teams, and they've gotten wins against those teams. So I don't think Notre Dame's going to wax Drexel. They could. They could come out and they could kick the crap out of Drexel. I just don't think they will. But I do think Notre Dame's going to win this game. I think Notre Dame all around, the best defense in the country, they're going to hold Drexel scoring back a little bit. The two-headed face-off monster of Leonard and um, Gallagher, they're going to win a bunch of face-off draws. And then that offense of Notre Dame's going to put up goals. So I don't think Notre Dame's going to necessarily beat the crap out of Drexel because Drexel is a very good team and they are going to be playing some hype lacrosse but I do think Notre Dame wins this game by six goals it uh and I think it's going to be within four goals going into the fourth quarter and that the Irish will probably pull away from there but I caveat that with Notre Dame could also win by 12. Notre Dame's really good who knows what the hell they're going to do number seven Denver versus Loyola this is another one of those 50-50 games. Loyola's just started to figure out who they are offensively. Aiden Olmstead's playing much better, handling, kind of quarterbacking this offense much more effectively, being much more effective and aggressive as a Dodger. So that was the key there, is getting Olmstead on the same page with this offense, and then that will allow Lindley to shine a little bit more. Defensively, they've been good all year. Schaefer's been serviceable in cage, and defensively, they have been playing really solid lacrosse. And then they win faceoffs at a decent rate, but Bailey Savio, that's been one of the keys here. He's been a little bit streaky as well. I thought he was going to come in and just be solid every game he played all year, and he's had some games where he struggled. But he's been playing good as of late here. Uh, for Denver, they're loaded on offense. And although Jungle Jack Hanna, he struggled all year long so far this year shooting. Last year in the COVID-shortened season, Jungle Jack Hanna was finishing the ball at a ridiculous rate. This year, he's had some shooting woes, and he's been struggling. He It started in the beginning of the year. I think he had a good middle of the year, and then he's kind of slowed down a little, and he's been kind of back to that low-percentage shooting again. So that'll be key for Denver. But Walker and Jackson, Jackson Morrill, and uh, Ethan Walker, they're clicking. Denver's depth is starting to show both at attack and at the midfield. Uh, Thompson's playing really well in cage for Denver, especially down the stretch. Even with those losses, he's played well. And then they have that two-headed face-off monster of uh, Stathakis and TD Erland. Now, that's been a little bit of a disappointment as well. People thought TD Erland was going to join this team. He was going to win 90% of his face-offs. Stathakis was already a 65 to 75% guy, depending on the matchup. They they have not been winning faceoffs quite like people expected. So that's going to be key here. But my prediction is still that faceoff duo is going to get their shit together. They're going to win a bunch of draws here. Denver is going to ride that possession disparity to probably like a four, five goal win over over Loyola. My official mark here is four goals, uh, four goal win over a scrappy Loyola team that will not quit. And the last game to talk about, number eight, Lehigh against Rutgers. This is another one of the 50-50 match matchups here. Sisselberger, he is going to dominate Rutgers at the face-off X. So that's pretty much a thing. Lehigh is going to have a boatload more possession than possessions than Rutgers overall. Almost no chance, I don't think, that Rutgers wins even more than 25% of those draws. However, Rutgers can hang and they're pretty damn efficient offensively. The, a lot of times they'll, you know, take, you know, drive fast, or what is it? Uh, drive fast, take lots of chances. They're going to put up a bunch of shots and just hope that more enough of them go in that they win the game. But where pressed, they could be efficient and they can score goals, especially on Lehigh. Once again, we're dealing with a, a Rutgers team that 
passes the eye test in a Lehigh team that's probably been tested in a similar way, but I still think that Rutgers has a little bit more star power, and I think some of that star power will shine through for Rutgers in terms of the Cursed and and uh, Charlambides and all those guys. Um, so, But then Rutgers has also faced the best defense in the country twice this season, and that's, that's going to be a little bit different. So I, that's where I think that Rutgers, even with a possession disparity, is going to put points up on Lehigh. Uh, and I think that Lehigh is a solid team all around. So if uh, if Sisselberger really does win 80% of the draws, I think Lehigh probably wins this game. If Sisselberger starts dipping down into 20, uh, 75%, 65%, or heaven forbid, only wins 60% of these draws, Rutgers wins this game. My prediction, Lehigh angers the Big Ten lovers, beats their only other Big Ten dar- – or, um, yeah, beats the only other Big Ten darling in the tournament in Rutgers by a goal in overtime. I think Lehigh wins in overtime over Rutgers. I think in overtime, this is my super hot take to finish this off, Sisselberger is going to pinch and pop that opening face off in overtime, start a fast break, and uh, and maybe not score the game-winning goal, but his, his pinch and pop that starts the fast break will cause that game-winning goal to happen. So that's my hot take in this one. Le- Lehigh wins by a goal off the opening possession in overtime over Rutgers, and that is going to piss off the Big Ten gods mightily. So that's it. That is my take here. Now, who do I think is going to advance here? Now I'm just going to go off hip and uh, and and read you off the rest of my bracket. I may show it to you if I decide I have the time to whip up a graphic, but it's kind of late here, uh, Tuesday night, and I'm a little tired, so I might not do that. Um, so uh, we, we go, I think that UNC wins that first game as I said and then I think that you and that let me let me bring up the bracket here NCAA bracket because I don't as I sit here and I say this off the top of my head I am totally afraid I'm just going to butcher it okay here we go I think that North Carolina, they're going to get their win, and I said that Lehigh is going to get their win. North Carolina is advancing to the Final Four from their bracket here. They're going to beat Monmouth. They're going to beat Lehigh en route to the Final Four. I think in the other bracket, if we go over to Duke's bracket here, I said already Duke's going to beat High Point. I already said that Denver is going to beat Loyola, and Duke already beat Denver earlier in the year. I think that Duke beats Denver again, and Duke advances to the Final Four. Let us go up to the top number three seed bracket here, Maryland. I called it Maryland over Vermont, Notre Dame over Drexel. This is a dogfight. This is the two of the best defenses in the country facing off against each other, Notre Dame and Maryland. And honestly, I have not done this yet, so I've, I've, I'm literally doing my bracket that, that's etched in stone here for you all to chirp me about on the fly. I am going to pick... I don't want an all ACC final four. So I'm going to go with Maryland. I'm going to go with Maryland over Notre Dame. I'm not sure that's going to happen. I truly think as I was looking at this last night, I really do think there's a very good chance we have an all ACC final four, but is how likely is that to happen? And in these other two between the North Carolina and the Duke bracket, the chance that they advance to the final four is really high. And then you even have that bottom bracket that we haven't talked about yet with Cuse and Virginia, both in it. So there's a, there's two ACC teams in that four team mix. So I'm going to just pick Maryland over Notre Dame kind of because I feel like I have to, because I feel like we can't have an all ACC final four. And I do not see Georgetown getting out of their bracket. Uh, So that's the one that might sting. And I actually think I might be wrong on that, but I'm going to go with Maryland. All right, Georgetown's bracket here. 
uh, in Virginia's bracket, I guess it, it technically is. I already said Virginia over Bryant, Syracuse over Virginia. Now, this is where I have a hard time picking against my Cuse. I really do feel Cuse is going to beat Georgetown. I think they have a very good shot at beating Georgetown. Uh, and it's hard to beat a team three times. It's hard to, and it's really hard to beat a really good team three times, especially because in that la- the last time Syracuse beat Virginia, um, they still torched LaSala at the faceoff dot, and Virginia was managed to tighten it up and keep that game much more reasonable. And I just have a hard time believing that Syracuse is going to be able to take LaSala to school the way they did the first two games in this third meeting, assuming they meet each other in the, in the, um, quarterfinals here so I am going to do something that I despise and I am going to pick Virginia over Syracuse now there this there's logic to this the the last two times I have picked Duke over Syracuse in the regular season and I didn't pick it this year but the the two seasons prior Syracuse ended up beating Duke and famously in 2019 it got chirped by Joe Tromboli because I picked Syracuse over Duke or Duke over Syracuse at Cicero when they played there and they didn't play it in the dome and I picked them. And then Joe Tromboli chirped me after the game. He was wearing a lax factor t-shirt and he chirped me after the game saying, Hey, what was your pick again? Something like that. So my kind of thing here is where the game really matters, even though in my mind, I, I always think Syracuse is going to win every game and route to the finals and win the finals. I'm going to pick against them. I do think truly it's really difficult to beat a team three times in one season. Uh, and it's going to be really difficult to continue to do what they did to Petey LaSala. The kid's a smart dude. You'd think he's going to make adjustments so that even if they beat him at the dot, maybe they only beat him 75-25, you know, three out of four times or whatever, and that might be enough for Virginia to win this game. I'm picking Virginia. Now we're at the final four here. We've got a Virginia and North Car- or Virginia versus North Carolina here in the semis, I'm picking North Carolina to beat Virginia in the semis and advance to the finals. We have Duke versus Maryland in the semifinals. I am picking Duke to beat Maryland in the semifinals. And then we have a Duke-North Carolina finals. Who am I picking? Drum roll. I, I actually don't know. So I'm sitting here saying, saying, who am I picking and giving you the drum roll like I've already decided. And I'm really just trying to buy myself time while I decide. I am going to pick Duke. The Duke Blue Devils are going to win the finals over North Carolina. It is going to be an absolute dogfight. What I think here and what I've said all season long also, whoever wins the finals, if it's either UNC, Maryland, or Duke, because they definitely are the three favorites. Out of those three teams, whoever wins the finals wins the Twarton. So I pick Duke as my national championship winner. I think overall offensive depth is there. Uh, I think that they have played everybody as much as possible. So I think they've prepped the depth of their roster better than anybody else has. They have all the pieces. Uh, One of the best defenders in the game. One of the best goalkeepers in the game. One of the best players, attackmen in the game. A great great face-off guy in Naso. Uh, Deep two two lines deep at the midfield. Uh, Not that Maryland doesn't have those things. Not that North Carolina doesn't have those things. But North Carolina and Maryland don't have all all of those things put together. That's why I'm picking Duke in this. And then by by proxy, Sowers ends up winning the winning the Twarton because he leads will help lead his team to the to the to the finals. And I'm I'm not 
100% sure that'll be the case anymore in terms of if Duke wins. I'm not sure Sowers wins it but The media because it all comes down to media hype and the media is still super hyped about Gray and the media more recently has been ridiculously hyped with Bernhardt. And uh, so that might still play a little bit, but I do think Duke wins it. And I think that as long as Sowers shows uh, through the tournament, because everyone's really excited to see Mike Sowers get some get some postseason lacrosse in, um, I think he's got a really good shot at it. So that is my prediction. That is what I'm going with. Now, if I go into the two division, uh, the two games that are being played on Friday in the D- Division Two tournament, these are the out bracket games here to get them into into the tournament officially. It's kind of like the the play yourself in Mount Olive against Tampa. Now, Mount Olive. Tampa's undefeated, I believe. Mount Olive's got one or two losses, but Mount Olive's definitely played a better schedule than Tampa. COVID kind of screwed Tampa with the travel. They had to play the teams close to them and easy, and they're just not overall very good teams. So Mount Olive is more battle-tested than Tampa. Tampa's still a ridiculously good team. I'm going to pick Tampa in this one. It could go either way, though. It's a tough one to call. They're, I think, the what, the four and the five seed. And then we got Seton Hill and St. Anselm. Uh, That is a true toss up here. Both of them, I think have very similar records. Both of them have played very similar schedules in terms, in terms of strength of schedule. I'm going to pick Seton Hill in this one, just because I think historically I like what they've done. Uh, but St. Anselm could absolutely win this game. So those, I forget how it works. I think the winner of Mount Olive and Tampa plays like Lemoyne or something like that. And then the winner of the Seton Hill and St. Anselm plays, I don't remember if it was, uh, not Mercy, Hurst, or Mercy. I can't remember. But, you know, sorry, guys. I, I, I talked too much about the D1 games. I ended up not prepping well enough because I did a local – I went and recorded a local high school game here, Vestal and Johnson City. We'll put highlights up for that here sometime over the course of this week. But that's the show, man. That's the episode. My bracket is out there. I picked Duke as my national champion. I pick Mike Sowers by proxy as the winner of the Tawarton. Those are my hot takes today. And let's – I can't wait. Here we're, I'm pumped. This is the best weekend of college across here. We have eight games to watch, four on Saturday, four on Sunday, all of them spread out. We don't have to watch Syracuse late Sunday night, which is a normal Syracuse thing in the tournament because of their graduation. So because they're playing on the road and maybe because of COVID too, we get to watch Syracuse Saturday night in the nightcap game instead. So that's going to be awesome. But all right, as always, be sure to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, find us wherever you find podcasts. If you want to listen to the audio version and you don't want to see my mug, or you can go to LaxFact com see and watch everything there watch listen and then get swag as well so that's all i will be back i'm going to do the saturday morning live stream as we have been doing if i'm not going to do it for whatever reason i'll ping you and let you know on twitter or uh, facebook but plan on us being here saturday morning at 10 a.m to rip through all these games and talk about a bunch of crap one more time before they go off and uh, that is it hoost is out